Jones, 30, 35, 40, he's in midfield, and they'll never catch The Show Me Your News Network proudly presents Down the Sidelines. And now, representing the Michigan Wolverines and the West Virginia Mountaineers, you may know them as Yoko and I'm a Beast, it's Peter Stasia and Joel Orndorff. Welcome back to the Gridiron. I'm Peter. And I'm Joel. And Down the Sidelines is the sports podcast that debates and predicts the latest in the athletic world. We are part of the Show Me News Network, and this is the 54th episode of the podcast on January 10th, 2014. All right, well, it's after the Show Me News Game of the Year Awards, which you put together a, a pretty nice montage of moments from the past year, I must say, so kudos to that. Yeah, I tried to get, like, uh, some of the... Uh what i thought were the funnier moments too because i know that some of our some of the people on our website you know are as into sports so some things they could relate to i know that everybody remembered the twitter explosion during the lights out at the super bowl mm-hmm. so i thought that'd be a funny thing to put in no, i think you did a really good job with a lot of that and plus the uh, the sports game award <laughs> best sports game went to mario and sonic at the winter olympics oh which, no that's ridiculous <laughs> Yeah, that. Why? <laughs> so I think that was the only <laughs> award that was uh, questionable uh, over uh, the. But the, I think the show went well, so definitely check yeah. it out if you like. You know all those kind of nerdy things that we do at ShowMeYourNews.com. Very, very long. Lots to listen to. I, like if you if you guys set aside some time for that thing because it's and you gotta listen to all of it because it's, it's really good and the, the red carpet special too oh that too yeah absolutely it's packed to the brim it's, mm-hmm. it was definitely a full show to work on this year but i think it was very enjoyable uh as far as things going on in the sports world well, it's not really sports but the uh, north american international auto show is coming up so that's going to yeah. be my weekend and early part of next week it to be down in detroit for that uh, so that'll be interesting. I'm gonna have to miss the Sunday's action of games. Ah, that's unfortunate. I, you know, this this past weekend, uh, I want to say that I only actually saw the game um, from the blowout game. Yeah, I missed all the close one. I the I listened to the last close one on the radio on the way home. Besides that, I and I mean, really great games. Yeah, I caught the. Uh... The last quarter of the Chiefs and Colts, and that was exciting. <laughs> That's just, uh, well, we'll talk about that, but um, oh, for wow. Sure. <laughs> Getting into the quick hits, though, Texas finally has a head coach. It's Charlie Strong. They hired him away from Louisville. Yeah. Uh, and there, were, there was some controversy with that, with the oh, boosters boy. that Texas has, who wanted to dismiss his achievements, and maybe could be a position coach, maybe a coordinator. But the guy thinks you know he gives a hundred million dollars to the school, and he thinks he's got a say in who the head coach should be. I mean, I th- I think uh, Texas is lucky that he's still the- that he was still at Louisville to be taken. Uh, he- a lot of people were kind of surprised that he hasn't been hired as a-, a coach somewhere else, maybe like in the SEC, where he's very familiar. Um, well, a lot know. of the names that were starting to get associated with Texas, they were starting to distance themselves from it, and so yeah. I mean, yeah, they did end up with a good hire, but a lot of the the egos at that well, school. Well, okay, and then the other thing is, you know, we, we could all talk about how, you know, maybe possibly there's some hidden racism there it's or something possible. like that. Yep. Um, but think about it this way: he, the the new athletic director there, came from. Didn't he come from uh, Arizona State? I right? think so. And. Um, you know, while recently this year they've had a lot of success, they've mainly been a basketball school. Hmm. Um, and and you, in the way that he always hired people is, you know, it's always based on who he thought the best coach available was. Oh yeah. You know, it, it, regardless of what somebody looked like or their background or anything like that, and uh, it always worked out really well for them there. So I mean, I I think he was just looking for the best coach. He, <laughs> I, I, I think you got a, got a really good one, too. I, I agree, and I don't think you can accuse the administration of that for their hire, but uh-huh. for Red, whatever his name is, the booster, Yeah, you might think that might play a, a, a hand. I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I, a lot of people are saying there's a possibility that he wanted to be more consulted because he donates so much money, right. that kind of thing. 
So, you know, we're, we we really won't be know know what exactly. Well, his I mean, you're take saying is. you're saying John Gruden. Like he's like, "Well, what about John Gruden? Well, John Gruden doesn't want to coach. Maybe yeah, you I, didn't know I, that." I mean, he doesn't want to coach an NFL team, so I mean, uh, as big as Texas is and everything, I I don't know. I think he's just fine where he is doing what he's doing. Like Bill Cowher's just fine doing what he's doing. So, uh, those I think those those are always fantasy hires for NFL teams. So I think you know that's kind of stretching it for Texas too. Another uh, questionable hire this time was uh, Louisville hiring Bobby Petrino again. Wow. Uh, that threw me off. <laughs> uh, that was surprising. I think well, he was at Western Kentucky. Yep. And he has had his moments, whether it's you know quitting on the Atlanta Falcons or the scandals at Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And he was a very good coach at Louisville when he coached them, I think, around 2004 he, to 2007-ish. He's a really great uh, developer of quarterbacks. I mean, he's got a long legacy of that, but... There's a lot of questionable things that come up every time he goes somewhere. He wins football games, but it's a matter of personality and morality and these kind of things. Um, mm-hmm. So that was that was so, super Yeah, it's the opposite of Texas. They go and hire a coach very quickly. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's for sure. Uh, the Redskins, Washington Redskins, get Jay Gruden. Yeah, John's brother, uh, the former offensive coordinator at Cincinnati, who then replaces him with Hugh Jackson, former Oakland Raiders coach. So that chain continues. Uh, Jay Gruden, though, I don't know if you heard this one today at his press conference, calls Redskin fans Raider Nation. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> Can't do that with another Classic NFL start. teams. Fan base, so then he apparently kind of lost his poker face composure when he was asked about RG three for the third straight question. So, oh man, welcome to Washington. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater and Johnny Manziel are among the others who have declared for the NFL draft once the college football season has ended, as expected. Mm -hmm. I'd say Johnny Manziel wants to get paid for signing autographs. Oh, Legally. Jay Leno. Jay Leno last night was like, I think he's gonna get paid less. Yeah. And and everybody kind of like groaned, and he was like, I don't care. I only have like a month left. That's true. He is starting to run out of time there on the the Tonight Show. Uh, and then you wanted to add this one here. Oh yeah, jeez. Dennis Rodman. Why? He's just. So, like, apparently, I mean, if you couldn't already tell from when... It, I'm trying to think what news program it was. Um, was it CNN? Maybe I'm not sure. It was, yeah. This was a few um, months ago, though. Yeah, yeah. but, I mean, it, it's interesting because if you watch it, you'd be like, man, he looks like he's drunk. He was drunk mm-hmm. um, when he made the, the comments that he made about, um, I believe there's a... Uh, American citizen being held captive, right, 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 I'm over there in uh, in North Korea, and um, he made comments about how he thinks that you know the guy's guilty of the things that he's being charged with, and you know, regardless, not I guess not really thinking about that person's family and and the statements that he's making and. <sighs> The thing about the the thing that I couldn't get over is if you look at all the basketball players, which you know are former NBA players, like sitting around him while he's kind of yelling at the uh, uh, the reporter mm-hmm. over like a webcast. I believe that's what it, it was like, kind of a broadcast, a webcast thing. Um, they're all their faces just they look terrified. <laughs> Like, Ooh, I mean, what are you doing? Yeah, they're like, calm down. And so apparently this was for a, a basketball game that was supposed to be take place for, um, what's his name? Kim Jong-un. Yes, yes. Uh, for his birthday, I believe. They, they were playing a basketball game. Well, this goes back a little bit because a few months ago, mm-hmm. you know, he made the, this initial visit to North Korea and, you know, 
with his good friend Kim Jong Un, and that yeah, you know that you know America doesn't understand what they're going through, and that was when yeah he first brought up this you know prisoner of war and yeah oh uh, yeah ask Obama about that, and so this is his second excursion over there, and yeah this was for his birthday. And he's just making more noise about it, and he, he needs the uh, not attention. Not only that, but like the the Americans lost. Yeah, and a, like a lot of people were saying that's probably for the better. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. They also apparently have different rules uh, for point scoring in North oh. Korean basketball. Like a dunk is worth three points. What? Um, a three pointer I think is worth four points. And if you hit a three-pointer within the last so many seconds, it's worth eight points. There are, are different rules for point scoring in North Korean basketball, and it's and, strange. But you're right, probably for the best that Team USA, yeah. of whatever ragtag players they pulled together, lost that yeah. I don't know. I, I just think it's one of those situations where, you know, they're friends with Dennis Rodman. They played basketball with him, you know, that kind of thing. But I'm sure they were kind of like, oh, why, why, why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah. Um, you just, I don't know. It's just like I can't get the look on their faces out of my head <laughs> whenever he was making those comments. It just We it want was, to live. Yeah, it was just like the, <laughs> it was just like, help me. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy and then even uh university of michigan is going through its own little controversial stuff here you know hitting close to home my alma mater and all uh you know they fired their offensive coordinator al borges mm-hmm. and then within hours they hire away doug nussmeyer from alabama oh. was the former offensive coordinator at the same time the groundwork was being laid for Lane Kiffin to be hired, which he just was. So oh, there's the God, question: right. like, is you know Saban just you know already willing to let him go? And there is a situation going on in Michigan where uh, the athletic director Dave Brandon, who I believe is the CEO of Domino's at the moment, huh. so he's a really good businessman, but getting the impression that he's trying to become a Jerry Jones-like figure. And there's a lot of question and skepticism going around right now uh, within the program of who's really running the show in the football program. So Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I wonder how much they're ending up paying for the offensive coordinator. Pretty pretty good chunk of money. Yeah. Um, and then I'm reading about West Virginia, not only on a sports front, but oh, yeah. about water. Yeah, um, I believe it's uh, there was a chemical spill. Yeah, in, in the water. Um, I think it's affecting eight counties in the in southern West Virginia. So it's not where you are. No, 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 no. Okay. Um, but I, I have plenty of friends who live uh, where it is, and it's it's kind of a, a crisis because uh, you cannot do anything with that water. You can't at even all. boil it. No, you you can't bathe in it. You can't. I mean, it's 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 not one of those situations where they they you know they tell you okay make sure you boil your water that kind of thing. It's just because usually that's the you know a solution. Yeah, you you it's you can't be used at all because of the particular chemical that got spilled in it. And I'm still not sure completely on the details of why like what has happened there and how they're going to fix it. But it's 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 trouble because I mean you got to think that a lot of the stores in the area. Or all the water is going to be bought up mm-hmm. there, and they're going to have to try and restock it all. And what are they going to do long term to fix it? It's going to be it's going to be probably take a, a while to do something like that. I just I'm not really I'm still not sure on the type of chemical it is, but it must have been something pretty nasty. Wow, I'm just glad it's not affecting you, but you know, oh no, yeah, those that are are going through it. Yeah, and I mean, uh, especially with uh, the just the topography here, it's. You know, any kind of runoff, it's sometime eventually probably going to run into a stream mm. or something like that, and wa- water always gets affected. And that's not even including groundwater. So there's, ugh, it's wow. probably a big mess. Sure sounds that way. 
Let's get into the red zone, though, with our three big sports stories of the past week. Uh, we start with the BCS National Championship game, the final BCS National Championship game under this Bowl Championship series. Series. <laughs> series. 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 Uh, Florida State and Auburn, we had been talking about it for a little while. Uh, you know, These were what were determined to be the two best teams by the computers and voting. Uh, Florida State had been dominant all year. Auburn with those two miracle finishes at Georgia and against you know, Alabama in the SC Championship game uh, puts them there. And, you know, it was a, one of the bigger spreads in national championship history uh, going into the game. But, you know, you always think, you know, the Heisman never performs that well. You know, they don't really often win the game. Uh, the number two team more often than not wins the BCS national championship game. Uh, and that's because, you know, you have get that time off. And it kind of becomes a bit of an equalizer. And it really started that way for Auburn. Especially, yeah, especially if you have a, you know, a, a potent offense or something. Time off can be worse for you than anything. And, I mean, that's that's exactly what happened with Florida State. I don't think it was necessarily this, they were being sluggish at first. But Auburn was just out-scheming them. And they were in the right places at the right time, you know, the right plans that were were laid in place with you know, Gus Malzahn, and looking really good when they're up twenty-one to three at one point, and then twenty-one to ten, excuse me, twenty-one to ten at half. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I don't think that um, I don't think Florida State had seen that kind of pressure up front all year, because uh, I mean, really, against I think the only team that could have maybe possibly given them that challenge is Clemson. Mm-hmm. And they got off to such a fast start against Clemson that game was over by the end of the, I mean, halfway through the second quarter. So I, I think when your toughest game you're against your toughest opponent is over that quickly, I, I think they didn't really, they really weren't challenged all year. Yeah, they really, I think they were finally challenged in this game. Yeah, they didn't see the adversity, but Jameis Winston has that competitive spirit in him. Like you know, when the pressure's on, he can turn it up. So Florida State comes back. You know, they get the hundred yard kickoff return. Uh, that, that was a big was spark huge, to Mike. <laughs> that wow. you know puts them in the lead with about you know five minutes left to go, and then it it gets exciting from there. You know, they go up four. I think it was you know, up up four or up three at that point, and then uh, yeah, Auburn right. gets the touchdown from Trey Mason. He mocks the Heisman pose, and I mean, if he had if he had run like this the whole year and been healthy the whole year then he very well would have finished at least second oh yeah especially when you compare him to uh mark ingram stats the alabama running back oh definitely yeah definitely had much better stats than that heisman season uh but then Jameis winston is Jameis winston you know puts together uh you know final drive comeback touchdown with 13 seconds left uh and then if you even watch the uh the last attempt play by Auburn, they were very close to springing a touchdown. Is the uh, yeah? If you would have kept running down the sideline, I thought. Oh yeah, had a chance. Oh yeah. So exciting game. Uh, I unfortunately couldn't see any of it. My sleep schedule has been so messed up that I was asleep during the whole thing. Yes, the if, whole thing. If you missed the first half, then you didn't really miss that much besides Auburn just dominating. Really, I, I mean, must say it was really, exciting. The la- I'll say one thing though about the the very end of the first half, it, Florida State put together a drive and they scored, and I think that kind of changed the whole game. If yeah. if they don't score there, I don't think they win. I mean, if they if they don't kick that onside kick, they don't mm. win either. Oh no, they don't fake that punt. That's what I meant. That was it. Right? You have the fake punt. Yeah, that they was don't the big one. Yeah, if they don't get that, the game. I think the game's over. Um, well, I must say it was exciting to. Uh... You know, kind of cue up the Twitter timeline and read what happened that way with no spoilers. It's, so. it, I mean, it, the thing is, we have been so accustomed to these blowout national championships that the games themselves, they're more about just watching the very beginning than anything else. And finally, we got a game that, I mean, it came down to the very, very end of the game. Uh, there, there was a very Vince Young type moment. Yeah, in that game, and I mean the other thing is Jameis Winston finally had to, he had to run. 
Yeah. And I think what a lot of people, uh, what a lot of people don't know if they don't watch him is that he, you know, he's, he's pretty athletic, but he's, he's not looking to run. And you can clearly tell that when he's running, he's like stumbling along while he's mm-hmm. running. And I mean, but it's exactly what got them back in the game is when he started doing that and he kind of just took over in the second half. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's always fun to watch. It's always fun to watch. Uh, you know, at the end of the game, he talked about how he probably got more respect from everybody out there from that last drive than he did oh, all yeah. year because it was when it mattered. Mm-hmm. And and that's, I mean, you're basically, you're determined how you're picked as a um, like elite quarterback is by your championships. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. I mean, that's how you do in the NFL. And I, I mean, he he's, <laughs> he's one of three quarterbacks all time ever to lead his team to an undefeated season, to win the Heisman Trophy, and to win the national championship. And he's, and he's a freshman. Yeah, he's prob- probably the first freshman to do all. I'd say d- definitely the first freshman to do all those in one year. I'd say so. Um, yeah, and it's coming not, back you know, next not, year. It's exciting. Not just the national championship game, but um, you know, c- you know, good job to the bowl selection committee on their choices mm. for the games because, quite honestly, that was the best matchups I've seen in BCS games in one year ever. I agree. Every game was competitive and fun. Kind of upsets. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it was just really interesting to see. Oh, absolutely. So we make the play. Does an SEC team win the national championship next year? It's going to be the new format, the four-team playoff. And this one was notable because it broke the seven-season streak of SEC teams winning the national championship the last one going back to, you refer to the Vince Young performance, uh, what is generally seen as one of the best national championship games of all time, the Texas and USC matchup in the 2006 Rose Bowl. So with the new format, Joel, do you think an SEC team takes it next year? Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to think about like where preseason teams are going to be. Um, because, I mean... No, it, it's hard to do what Auburn did and like work your way back up into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you need a lot of teams to lose, so where you start, I mean, does really help. Um, and so, I mean, you got to think that Auburn will probably be. I mean, I guess Alabama will probably, I mean, maybe still be top five. I don't know, which is kind of weird to think because they will have a brand new quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that hasn't stopped people from voting them up in the past. Uh, so um, I, I'm gonna say I think Auburn will definitely be top five. Um, well, it's all it's, it's all gonna matter what happens at the end of next season, though. Um, yeah, which is tough um, to predict. We know, but yeah, okay. It's... Well, I'll say that. I'll say that an SEC team doesn't win the national title because um, I think I think the potential for that playoff will put in some new matchups that they're not used to. I think maybe a team that's just like too fast for them or something. Mm. Um, I don't. I don't know. That's <laughs> just my guess. I'm gonna say that they do, uh, and, and I agree that you know the new format can definitely help with the variety but i still still think for its its first season and with the selection committee that's implementing it i think it might just be too easy for them to put in two sec teams which would help their chances uh you could probably see you know if florida state is good enough again they'll get in maybe you see a big 10 team whether it's an ohio state or michigan state um maybe they sneak in there but well I mean, the only reason, the only thing I was thinking with this is that they're probably. I'm thinking they'll only be one SEC team, mainly because that schedule's tough. When yeah. I compare it to Florida State's schedule, which I'm sure, 
If you have a situation like this year, though, where an Alabama team is very good, they happen to lose in the SEC championship game, but they're still there in the top four, uh, you know, they would have been in along with Auburn. So, I, I mean, also I'm thinking like maybe there'll be a couple undefeated teams. It's also like, possible. From multiple. And I'm thinking maybe like if there is an undefeated team in the SEC, there's only going to be one, mm-hmm. of course. So. Yeah. I, I was just thinking maybe we somehow get we actually get four undefeated teams at the end of the year from all the different conferences. That would be something. Yeah, that I mean, would, which, that would make which, for a great first if year. That, if that actually happens, then I think everybody will be happy with this national championship. Otherwise, there's going to be people always complaining mm-hmm. until you have a real playoff. Right. The 10-yard line story comes to us from Major League Baseball. The Hall of Fame vote uh, is now in. You have three players making it to the Baseball Hall of Fame. We've got the 75% votes from the Baseball Writers of America. Uh, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, two of that great, great Atlanta Braves rotation, both pitchers. And then the big hurt slugger, Frank Thomas from the Chicago White Sox. Uh, those three players, and you had you know some notable uh, things like the the big steroid users that are you know inf- infamously known on that ballast. You have Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens. Their percentages went down from last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rafael Palmero under five percent, <laughs> which means he is off the ballot. For future years, uh, shocking for someone who is a career 300 hitter, 500 home runs. Uh, that's that's just surprising. It's the whole steroid thing, which I have opinions on, but you know they're I don't know they're they're necessarily relevant. The big drama though is how there was a baseball writer who gave his vote over to. Deadspin, <laughs> the Gawker blog uh, from the Gawker Media Network, and they had their you know, viewers, not viewers, readers, uh, basically vote on what their ballot would be using the official ballot, tallied all the votes, and then basically cast the official votes for the ballot for players who got over 50%. Mm-hmm. And it was a way to kind of, you know, make remarks at the flawed nature of how the voting process is currently done for the Hall of Fame. Turns <laughs> out that the writer who gave Deadspin the vote was Dan Lebetard of the Miami Herald. He you know, has his radio show. He has this highly questionable uh, ESPN2 show. And that's, you know, Dan Lebetard is highly questionable, not... Oh, that that show was highly questionable. <laughs> a very interesting move. However, it really ruffled the feathers of the baseball elite. <laughs> uh, what did you make of this, Joel? Uh, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of interesting to see the ballot and and you know to give it. Of course, I like I knew he'd give it to someone like Deadspin because then they'd do a lot with it. Um. I don't know. I don't really have as much of a problem with it just because, uh, maybe just because I'm not in the baseball elite. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like it, this kind of stuff interests me to see, like you know how, like how they, you know, their process and uh, and kind of how how you know at least one person that's voting breaks it down. Right. Yeah, I think it was. It was an interesting move to do. I think he made a couple remarks though, on mistakes that he made. Mm-hmm. And he said that he shouldn't have, you know, come out with it that day, yep. uh, which I agree. He should have waited a day, and because that day was all about those who did get elected. Uh, but then he said, you know, he should have tried to do that on more of his platforms. But he's also been trying to do that for the last ten years or so. Mm-hmm. And Deadspin was the one who kind of came to him for the idea, so he used Deadspin. Uh, for the Deadspin ballot, they ended up selecting uh, Greg Maddox, Frank Thomas, Tom Glavin, mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Mike Piazza, Craig Biggio, Edgar Martinez, Jeff Bagwell, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, and Kurt Schilling. Um, I don't think a lot of real questionable you know, votes there. No, those are all recognizable names. Definitely, like, I'd, you could just say them and I'd be like, yeah. And, and poor Craig Biggio in the official vote, two votes shy of getting the 75%. Uh, he'll get it next year. It's not like it was his last year, but that's still <laughs> still really tough. Yeah. But yeah. here's the interesting thing. Is that the uh, Baseball Writers Association of America has suspended Dan Lebetard for a year, which means he cannot go to baseball games with media credentials. And he's not like a beat writer, so that doesn't really... Mm-hmm. hinder him at all and then he has his hall of fame vote revoked mm. for life oh. and it just seems like this authoritative club doesn't like what happened and it seems really petty uh from a baseball fans perspective i don't think it makes sense especially when some of these writers some of these writers voted for J.T. Snow to go into the Hall of Fame. Some of these writers voted for Armando Benitez. Benitez. Armando Benitez to go in the Hall of Fame. <clears throat> Jacques Jones. Some of these writers voted to go in the Hall of Fame. Really? You're talking about the sanctimonious nature of the votes. I don't think that's really the case. Nope. Especially when you're also reading reports of how the vice president of the Baseball Writers Association of America had kind of already crowdsourced his own vote amongst, you know, some blogger friends and, you know, close associates and this group of eight people he gathered with and they talked about, you know, who, who should he vote for on his ballot. The whole idea of why... Lebetard was banned you know, from voting in the Hall of Fame was, oh, because he gave his vote over to people who didn't have 10 years of baseball writing. That, that's a privilege that you earn. And yet apparently this, this vice president of the association kind of has this crowdsourced discussion with his friends and other you know, bloggers that he knows. Mm-hmm. That's, is that not the same thing? Uh, it is. <laughs> Kind of an absurd double standard. So I give kudos to Levitard for making the move. It certainly brings attention to it. I don't think anything really comes of it because it's just that old, hard, and crusty elitism that baseball likes to think itself as. But some of these voters, they need to take a harder look at who is voting and legitimacy of some of their votes. Do a little, like, maybe a little bit of research doesn't sometimes help. There was a voter who, I'm trying to remember who he actually voted for. But there's like, you know, gosh, what was the, all the different names. Alan Trammell was there. Yep. Um, Jack, oh, gosh, what was the pitcher? It was basically a, a slew of players who were before Jack Morris. That was his name. Jack Morris was one of them. The slew of players who was before the steroid era. And his only logic was, well, I'm not voting for anyone from the steroid era. Hmm. So he didn't vote for Greg Maddox. He didn't vote for Tom Glavin. He didn't vote for Frank Thomas. And he's a he's a voter. So so he he didn't vote for like names that people most people around baseball like know right Pretty away much, instead yeah. of names that you'd have to take like a double look and be like oh yeah they, they played baseball but mm-hmm. it's a while ago it's it's a frustrating situation and then you also have to think you know on another side you know individuals who you know spend. All this time, you know, devoted to baseball. You know, Bob Costas comes to mm-hmm. mind. Yep. Or um, 
know, Ken Burns, the documentarian, like these people don't get to vote for the Hall of Fame. I'm sure they put a lot more time towards the game than some of these writers who vote these terrible ballots. It's it's a mess. It's just a mess, and it caused how a did, lot of how drama. How did they like initially? That's what I always wondered. How they initially chose? Um, well, I guess you have to be in the association, and then if you you know a baseball writer for at least ten years, that gives you the the right to vote for the Hall of Fame. So they say. I don't know if there's any other initiation that goes along there. So we make the play, our predictive element. Will Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens' percentages go up next year? Uh, they say how much they went down by. Uh, it is a good question. Hmm. I think it was, a, it was a pretty sizable amount. Maybe close to 10%. I mean, I it's almost like it's uh, how do people people feel each year about you know players whose names have been associated with steroids and um I mean at least this year it was like a, a I, I guess it seems like every year it's kind of like a thing again mm-hmm. and we got to talk about it but um I don't know I. I think maybe it's more of one of those things where maybe in a few years it starts to go back up again. Well, it's just such a, it's still such a hot topic. It really is, and you know, Clemens and Bonds are at thirty-five point four and thirty-four point seven percent, respectively. So they do have a ways to fall before you know falling off the ballot. Sammy Sosa is at seven point two percent. Mark McGuire at eleven percent. Hmm. Uh, that's it's wasn't close. that long ago either. Like I mean, and I think McGuire in his first year on the ballot was around thirty some percent. Hmm. So, I think they go down slightly, not as much as this year. You still have this prevailing thought among these voters that oh, the steroid era they they shouldn't shouldn't be in there. These players took steroids. I'm not going to accuse Frank Thomas of anything, but what happens if, you know, time passes and then you find out that he took steroids? Not an assault against his character or anything, it's just to make a point. They vote for this this player and then, oh, well, he happened to be, but all these other players who have, you know, sure first ballot accomplishments, were it not for that or their personalities. And that's another thing, too. These... Writers try to also take, you know, because they're, they're media writers, and so they probably have opinions on them as players, you know, the personality, how they were treated. They probably you know, talked arrogance. to them before, too. Like, they factor that into it as well. Like, who are you to judge? I mean, yeah, think about, like, if they were trying to get an interview with them one time, and they were like, oh, no, and they canceled it, and then all of a sudden... Oh, well, I don't really like him. <laughs> it's, it's just really frustrating as someone who grew up with baseball with these players. Mm-hmm. And it was an era that it wasn't just a select few or a dirty dozen. It was a culture. It was what brought baseball back from the brink. Chicks dig the long ball. Yeah. You know, that era with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa coming back from the strike. In 94, it's what made baseball popular again. Oh, but now, oh, no, that, that, shame on that now. It wasn't <laughs> necessarily illegal at the time. And it was being lauded and celebrated. Yeah. <clears throat> it's just so frustrating. I don't, I don't think a lot of them take that into consideration. They, they just immediately see those names and are like, no, no, no. Don't like them. Too arrogant. It's really frustrating. Five-yard line, let's talk some football again. Let's get into those playoff games, Joel. Yeah. Um, did you want to talk a little bit about the right, past? Let's, let's, let's start with happening, yeah, yeah with yeah. The, the wild card round first. Yeah. Um, let's see. Boop, boop, boop. I mean, it started with Kansas City and Indianapolis. Yes. Uh, All right. All right. 28 All right. points down. Yeah. Um, I'm like, 
uh, what was I doing? Oh, I was I, I was editing actually. That's what I was doing during that game, and like I kept like running out and grabbing some water or something, and I'd go by and I'd be like, oh no, like at the very beginning, like when it was first happening, I was like, oh good, <laughs> I picked the cheese. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, this is a blowout. Jeez, wow. And then like came back a little later and it was like, huh, that game's still going on. Wow. Oh, I see Indianapolis actually scored. <laughs> and then a little bit later, it's like, wow, not that much time has passed. And it's like rather close. How did that happen? Yeah. And then I believe I finally checked one more time and the game was over. And it was like right as they were cutting the commercial. And I just saw Indianapolis 45, <laughs> Kansas City 44. And I was like, what? <laughs> What 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 happened? <laughs> I just I asked I asked my family I was like what happened and they all just looked at me like we're still not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was like I how did I not hear you guys screaming? <laughs> like, it was really just injuries and you know that kind of is the trend for the Chiefs this season. You know they Andrew had a Luck. really really strong start. You lo- lose a couple strong players on your defensive line and then. You know, Jamal Charles out with a concussion in the mm-hmm. first quarter of this game. Uh, you had your backup running back also go down to injury. Uh, so you weren't doing yourself any favors there. Um, yeah, they they failed to make the playoffs for the eighth straight appearance that they were there. Uh, I'm sorry, they failed to win their win. playoff yeah. game. Yeah, they've lost eight straight times in the playoffs. And that's, that's frustrating for that fan base, sure. But, you know, they... They have a good foundation now set, I think, with Andy Reid. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Just yeah, the injury bug—you can't help it, and that's that's a really, really tough game to lose. But if you had won that game, you're not in the best shape for the next week. So. Oh no, yeah, but I mean, I, I definitely a giant turnaround. I mean, at one point in the season, they were one of the only undefeated teams left, and. Uh, but I, I, I mean, apparently, from what I hear, Andrew Luck looked completely different in the second half than he did. That's kind of the Colts' mo this year, isn't it? I mean, the Colts have a terrible first half. Andrew Luck storms them back in the second, and they end up winning games. Colts had four turnovers; the Chiefs won, and you still win the game. That's that's really crazy. I mean, ask ask the Bengals about turnovers. Mm, yeah, <laughs> Ugh. that's for sure. The other game uh, that Saturday was the Eagles and the Saints. Eagles mm-hmm. look to have control of the game, and the Saints come and kick the last second field goal. So we went 0 for 2 on yeah. that Saturday. Yep, 0 for 2. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then the next game. Um, we went 0 for 3. Yeah, just not did not see that coming, specifically because San Diego could barely beat the Chiefs. When the Chiefs were yeah. only starting, like, four of their starters. Well, then, yeah, they're talking about, you know, San Diego, you know, for this week's game, which we'll get to talking about how, you know, watch out for them. Like, this is a team that was struggling to get in the playoffs and couldn't, you know, had trouble beating a team of backups. I think that this, that last, I think this San Diego-Cincinnati game had more to do with Cincinnati than it had to do with San Diego because Cincinnati looked horrible. Andy Dalton has not played well in his three playoff no, games. No, no, no. Really. I mean, first of all, you should never throw the ball that much. That's yeah. just that's crazy. Uh they they need they needed to run the ball and they did not mm-hmm. run the ball. And they just kind of let San Diego do whatever they want on the offense, and then you give them the ball, what, four times? Mm-hmm. I one of the things when I was trying to find the radio station to listen to the um, the other game on the, the Green Bay San Francisco game on the way home, um, I, I came across the Cincinnati radio network. I don't know mm. how I got that where I was, um, but they were talking about how you know Marvin Lewis. They were talking about him and how you know like he kind of has to accept, you know responsibility for them losing and everything and um how he needs to have like you know 
probably a better backup quarterback for when Andy Dalton's just not playing well. Mm-hmm. And how there was so much expectation going into the season because they did so much in the offseason. That defense, I mean, there's it's just loaded, really. Oh, yeah. And um, they, they, they were just trying to figure out who to blame, I think, for this whole thing. And a lot of people were throwing Andy Dalton under the bus and, and all these things. And, I mean, he's been there a while. So I think, again, if you're going to stick with him moving forward, I think you do need to bring somebody else in for competition, at least. Right. Um, kind of put some pressure there. Oh, no, yeah, definitely. And I think that, that could definitely help him, you know, make him progress a little bit more. But just, they look lost out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only not close game right. of the wild card. And then the one that we did get right, though it was a close one at the end, San Francisco does beat Green Bay. Green Bay I mean, ties it up with a field goal. Kaepernick beats Green Bay. Watch, he's got that that clutch third and eight run for eleven yards, where the the linebacker, you know, you know, Brett, uh, went in, lost the contain, mm-hmm. uh, took him to the outside, and that was huge. That and and I mean. You know, congrats to everybody that went to that game because <laughs> oh, that was so the start of the weather that, of course, we all eventually ended up seeing. The um, polar vortex. Yes, that would just—I mean, it made it made the NBC News make a story <laughs> the other night about is global warming real, <laughs> and I, I just about lost hey, it. Those um, people. <laughs> Don't understand science. I was like, it was a few days, guys. Calm down. Warming, but, but, but it's cold. Oh my gosh! When they interviewed people in New York, I just oh. okay. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, over two hundred yards passing, almost hundred yards rushing, and then just clutch field goal at the end of the game. They they went in and they won. I mean, Green Bay had a lot of momentum coming in because they finally got their quarterback back and he played great. I mean, you know, there was a lot of awful offensive stalling in that game, but he still played really well. Um, and it does set up, I think, a really interesting uh, mashup with two really good defenses in the next game. It really does. And, yeah, we got to mention the, the field goal kicker, Phil Dawson, you know, longtime <laughs> Cleveland Browns fan, so or Cleveland Browns player. So for yeah. fans of that team, I gotta wonder how that felt. It's good for him to you know be on a winning team and and yeah. all that. But yeah, that Kaepernick run just helped set up a more reasonably uh, kickable field goal. Yeah, I you know I will elements. say that like listening to listening to it on the radio. Is definitely a, a different experience, but like it was something that I always like grew up doing, mm-hmm. listening to football games on the radio. And once I finally found the station, my gosh, it wasn't hard to find the game. I don't, I expected like ESPN to be covering or somebody, right. but um, you now the CBS yeah. affiliates are, are usually taking these games. Yeah, but I mean, when I finally got it, and of course got home, like like into town right as the game was ending. I was like, ah, darn it. Well, tomorrow starts the divisional round of games and it starts uh, Saturday at 425 where New Orleans goes to Seattle. That place will be rocking. Uh, New Orleans, I think they might have a a little bit of a shot as you know, are are making the play here is which teams will win this weekend. We'll be discussing Mm -hmm. that with each of the, Matchups here. I think, you know, New Orleans, once they got this road playoff win, kind of bugaboo out of the way for them, you can't count them out. Oh, no. But mm-hmm. I think the atmosphere uh, at home for Seattle is going to play a huge factor. And I can't remember the last time, or I can't forget the last time these two teams played Oof. with the beast mode run. Of Marshawn Lynch, go watch that highlight. That's that's some some good times. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think that's the thing. It's uh, we always were we were wondering earlier in the season. You know, was it going to be played 
at the toughest place to play in the NFL, or was it going to be played at the other toughest place right, to play? Because right. um, we, we all pretty much thought that both these teams would uh, definitely be in the playoffs, and then just who would have the higher seeding. Um, I, I think I still think you got to give it to the home team just because... And you know what? I think if the game had been at New Orleans, I probably would have picked them. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's crazy. Like, I know some people that have been to some Seattle games, and, uh, like, I know someone that went to that one where they they registered on the, <laughs> oh, what is it? The, um... The Richter scale? Yes, the Richter scale. Um, and it's just kind of deafening, like, <laughs> you want earplugs. Um... And and also I think you know, I think Seattle's defense is really good. Yeah, I think that they'll be able to slow New Orleans down enough. And I, I don't think New Orleans' defense is is I don't think they're going to be able to contain that that offense. And I know I mean the thing with Seattle is that they it seems like most of their games this year they just they kind of just make it by because they they limit teams on what they do offensively and then. They score enough points. I'm kind of thinking that a lot of people will be expecting the game to be close, but then for some reason Seattle's going to come out and like have an offensive explosion, mm. and everyone's going to. And then that's I think what it's going to do is probably going to put them as like favorites to make it to the Super Bowl right away. Right. And then I think maybe their next game is going to be really close. Well, <laughs> like they're, early, they're they're favorites in Vegas already. And you know, Seattle has had some bad games, but you cannot have Russell Wilson have a bad game. Yeah. Like, that's it's a must. So, if he's serviceable, it's a good. I think Seattle wins. And I think you're right. The defense will be ready for those multiple yeah, tight I, I think end sets. I think playoffs. I mean, that's the thing I kind of think about playoffs is that if you playoffs, have good playoffs, defense, then, you can, then you can really lock things down. And I think that's what they'll do. I. Um, you know, it was good for New Orleans. Go, n- n- neither of us, I believe, neither of us thought that they would go into Philadelphia and win, especially uh, in that cold weather yeah. on the road. They but they did. Before, yeah, yeah, they did. And I just, I don't think that's the same kind of place as Seattle. Yeah, you know, as mean and crazy as Philadelphia fans can be, it's kind of a different level in Seattle. In primetime on Saturday night, you have the Colts-Patriots matchup, but it's a bit of a different flair now with Andrew Luck manning the helm. You know, some people think this Indianapolis team is a team of destiny, Ah. and and I think you can't count them out, especially if they get down early, because that's almost what they want you to think. But I think New England has enough experience behind Tom Brady, uh, and I think they take care of business here with this one. I just don't see the Colts having enough options and you know enough enough defense to be able to hang with the Patriots. Uh, you know, and Tom Brady's making a lot of a little as well, mm-hmm. but he's been there and done that, and I think you got the coaching advantage as well on the Patriots side as well. It'll be close, and uh, it might even be one where you know Indianapolis tries to mount a comeback but falls short. But I'll I'll take New England in this one. Yeah, I just I just think uh, you know you got to feel better about their offense than Indianapolis. I don't really know how much defense will be played in this one exactly because neither team, I mean that's not where their best players are. Um, and I, I think if you can't get, I think honestly to to beat Tom Brady and what everybody does when they beat Tom Brady is you get him on the ground a lot. Mm-hmm. You make him get rid of the ball as fast as he possibly can. Take all those underneath routes. Um, because if you do not rush him, he is going to score on you. Yep. I mean, it's dissect you, yeah. proven over and over again. He's probably the best in the league at doing that. Um, you give him time and he's going to score. And it doesn't really matter who the receivers are. So, mm-hmm. um, if he could throw himself the ball, he would. <laughs> <laughs> he can't he throw can't. the ball and catch the ball. Is that right, uh, Giselle? <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm going to take New England in this one. Um, you know, it's it's also at New England. That could be a tough place to play mm-hmm. in the playoffs. And uh, But uh, I just think maybe, it, maybe Andrew Luck's still a little too young to take that step up in the playoffs. So I, 
very impressive what he did last week. I oh, mean, absolutely. like, not underselling that at all, but... But it yeah. was against you an injury-depleted team. Yeah, definitely. Not trying to make excuses for Kansas City, but that's, that's what it was. Uh, Sunday at 105. Oh, this is what I'm going to have to miss. Because I have you know stuff in you know, that afternoon to prepare at the auto show, and I'll I'll have a hotel room so I can at least come back and see the later game. But yeah, I'm gonna have to miss this one, which is a shame because the defensive struggle that it was when these two teams met earlier in the year was that was a 10-9 matchup. That was something. Yeah. San Francisco 49ers at the Carolina Panthers. Who do you have in this one? I mean, it's probably just gonna be whoever makes a mistake on offense and turns the ball over. Because mm-hmm. either of these defenses gets a turnover and could probably score with it. Um, let's see. Um, I'd say I think I'm going to actually go with San Francisco in this one. And I think mainly it's because, um, at least in the quarterback matchup, I do like Colin Kaepernick more. Um you know, they're they're both athletic. They can both make plays with their legs and stuff. But I think San Francisco's defense is is could probably be better at containing that kind of thing um, compared to Carolina, which I think probably a more traditional um, kind of defense that I think he could probably break down. But, I mean, you know, they see a fast quarterback all the time, so I'm sure that they'll, you know, at least be kind of used to that. Um but I, then again, I mean, Carolina's, I, I think they have a pretty young roster, too. And they, they just recently finally put this defense together and got it to the point that they liked it. And and so they're still kind of meshing pieces. That San Francisco defense, you know, a lot of those guys have been together for a while. Mm. And um, I think as long as everybody's healthy, uh, did they, who is it? I'm trying to think. The defensive lineman for them. Alden Smith? Yeah, is he okay? I thought he might have got hurt. Uh, I'm not sure. Because I, I, I think he's going to be a big key oh, to this certainly. game. Um, if he can get a lot of pressure on uh, Cam Newton. Um, you know, the, their yes. offense has looked a little bit better. And they, they really, I mean, play their way into this spot at the end of the year. Um, with what they did in New Orleans. And uh, considering what happened when they went to New Orleans before, I think a lot of people were surprised. Right. But, I mean, that just goes to show you how big home field advantage can be. Um, but I don't really think that there's that much home field advantage there. Um, I think the fans are probably still getting on board with this whole thing. Fans, fans will be hungry, I think. Yeah. Um, um, it's not going to be all about the, the line play and the, the linebackers in this one for both defenses. Logic would tell me to pick San Francisco. I think they've been playing better lately, uh, you know, playing like one of the best teams in the league. But I'm going to err on the side of history, and I'm going to take Carolina. All right. And there's the statistic out there that says, at this stage of the playoffs, there have only been five teams that are home underdogs. Uh, and Carolina is, you know, I guess in this case, the sixth. But in those five games before, the home dog has not only covered, sorry, four out of the five times, the home dog has not only covered the spread, but they've won. Mm-hmm. So I would not count Carolina out. And, and, and I mean, it is something to be said about traveling all the way across country. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's obviously they get more time to do it than a college team would, but uh, it's still probably throws them off a little bit. Yeah, that's true. Sleep schedules, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And then the uh, the later game on Sundays, San Diego Chargers at Denver Broncos. Uh, it's the whole issue of you know San Diego beat Denver at Denver, and I think it was Week 15. Peyton Manning and his you know struggled starts in the playoffs. I think is this his 13th playoff appearance, and he has 11 exits, you know, 11 losses in the playoffs. Eight mm-hmm. of those 11 in the first game that he plays not necessarily you know the first round but because there's wild card and divisional but in the first game in the playoffs eight of those 11 times you know peyton manning's teams lose uh so it's gonna be and i think that's like what that's twice as many as 
other quarterbacks all time. It's some yeah. crazy statistic like that. You know, and you have San Diego coming in. They've got to be coming in with confidence, and that's surprising. So I can't get past the point that this was a team that had trouble beating a team of backups to get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think Denver may have some rust early, maybe a little cold. Uh, I think they put it together, though, at the end and put up the points like they know how to. I'll take Denver. Yeah, and, I mean, you have to think about who Cincinnati, I mean, who San Diego just beat. They beat Cincinnati, who was in a division where, I mean, pretty much every team was struggling at one point during the season. Mm. I mean, even they were for a while. And, I, I mean, that's the reason they won the division because, you know, the Browns' season was probably over like halfway through. And then uh, the Ravens just really stumbled at the end of the year, and the Steelers started off about as bad as you can. So that's yep. the reason that Cincinnati won that division. Um, and and I really think it showed in the playoffs. I, I, I don't think that it was as much San Diego just playing lights out as it was Cincinnati playing very poorly. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we can talk about previous matchups with Denver and San Diego I think it's going to be different <laughs> this time I think um you know they have home field advantage they which is what they want like their that was probably their goal during the season because a lot of people were picking them early too um as long as you don't let the other team you know score defensive touchdowns score special teams touchdowns and that kind of thing I think Denver's going to be favored in all yeah. their games. Um, and I, I really think this is the point where if they can get their offense going, I mean, the games might not be very close. Right. I, 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 and I don't necessarily think their defense has to play outstanding. If their defense plays great, then they probably will win every game comfortably. Um, I... I, I mean, I do think they kind of have a home field advantage, not just in, you know, the crowd and everything, but going to play there is tough. It oh, really yeah. is. It's Your conditioning is completely different. Um, the elevation does really play a key. Especially San Diego, right down you know, at sea level. Yeah, and, and not only that, but um, if it comes down to field goal kicking, you gotta you got to like Denver's kicker more in that situation because he's more used to how the ball sails there than... Yep. And in a lot of playoffs games, I mean, last couple did. So it's true. All right. Well, we can't be you know as worse as we were the previous week. So we like <laughs> Seattle over New Orleans. We like New England over Indianapolis. Denver over San Diego. And then we're split. Joel likes San Francisco over Carolina, whereas mm-hmm. I like the Panthers in that matchup. So we'll see how that goes. They go to the conference championships. You know, we both, from the beginning of the year, we had Seattle and Denver going to the Super Bowl. Uh, and yeah. you had Seattle winning, I had Denver winning. We look, look smart right now, but it just does. until this weekend. <laughs> Knock on wood, let's keep those, keep those all, predictions rolling. All, all the lower seeds win. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't be the first time craziness has happened in the NFL playoffs. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, this coming week, uh, not too much as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Arizona starting off 16-0 and in college basketball. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's tied for their best start. Um, and that kind of also kind of goes away from the, you know, the three big freshmen with Andrew Wiggins in Kansas and Jabari Parker at Duke and Julius Randle in Kentucky. They aren't really near the number one no. spot. So it's kind of mixing up the order and establishment in college basketball. It's interesting because I finally went back and like listened through our episodes and stuff, and we were talking about Arizona mm. last year, and I, th- I believe I said something to the extent of, they're going to be really good next year. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, Nailed oh my it. gosh, I finally got something right on this show. <laughs> <laughs> they've got Aaron Gordon and then Nick Johnson. You know, it's tremendous backcourt. That's, oh, yeah. Uh, and then you have one of the NBA games going on right now where it's the nicknames 
on the jerseys. Uh, <laughs> grown. Got some NHL. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the Winter Classic is over, so they have the this other stadium games coming up later this month. Mm-hmm. But as far as the standings go, uh, let's see. Yeah, Detroit is... Oh, it's, oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the divisions. I'm like, they're, Detroit's fourth in their division. <laughs> Pittsburgh is having a strong year. Uh, yeah. The East is significantly weaker than the West. Mm-hmm. Um, who is doing really well? St. Louis and Chicago are tied for points. Anaheim, yeah. best in the West. Um, yeah, just if you look at this disparity, I think Detroit's seventh in the East right now, but they're also three points away from 12th. And that would, you know, they would be, you know, significantly out of the playoff spot in the West. So that season's continuing for sure. Um, gosh, what else? Aussie Open is coming up. Yeah. I think that draw just got established, and Andy Murray's got a really tough draw. Um, Penn State hired James Franklin, the Vanderbilt coach who. Took that team to back-to-back nine-win seasons. He hadn't, hadn't won nine games for the first time since like uh, 1915 or something like that. And dude's getting paid at Florida State. Oh, and another thing we forgot to mention, uh, Tennessee Titans fired Mike Munchak. Yeah, they we did. Thought, you know, they, he'd talk with the, the team, and they kind of gave him a proposition like, well, you know, you can keep your job, but you're going to have to make some changes to your staff. You're going to have to fire... Some of your coordinators, some coaches. And he's like, ah, I'm not going to do that to my guys. So he's gone. Hmm. Uh, and there was also the thought that he would end up going to Penn State there. You know, Penn State alum, you know, great coach, uh, could be at the college level. I think he's average at the, the NFL level, but he's, you know, put in his time, especially with that, you know, Houston Oilers, Tennessee Titan franchise. Uh, so hopefully he gets another job and he'll land on his feet somewhere. Um, wait, so Detroit hasn't hired their coach yet, They right? have not. Um, but, you know, Ken Wisenhunt is presumed to be the favorite. He's also interviewing at Tennessee and Cleveland coming up. But Chargers offensive coordinator, you know, they've got a game and he's doing three interviews this week. It's kind of surprising. Yeah. Um, let's see, what else? Um, Lindsey Vaughn. Oh, gosh. Out for yeah. the Olympics. Uh, that's tough. Um, and um, it's it's interesting because I mean you know skiing is a pretty big thing in the uh, uh, for for the Winter Olympics and there's a lot of people that a lot of the attention was going to be focused on her and that U.S. team. I'm going to watch hockey more, but you know as yeah. you had in the the highlight selection of skiing is is that what they call it with with Tiger Woods and <laughs> that mentioned so. <laughs> Almost just a uh, harbinger of things to come. Yep. 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 I think that's pretty much about it. A-Rod wants to look at a lesser suspension, but there's some controversy there. Like, maybe you should have done that earlier instead of calling out the system and making a big deal of things. It's going to be an exciting week in sports, no matter how you look at it. So... With that, I'm Peter. And I'm Joel. We hope you enjoy the week in sports. Have a good one.